Welcome to Inside Yorkshire with Susan, bringing you intriguing details about the lives of people here in Yorkshire. So, come on in and join us. Hello, this is Susan here, Inside Yorkshire, and today I'm sitting with Caroline Hewlett, who is our local vicar. She's the vicar for Swaledale with Ark and Garthdale, which is... um, apparently the largest parish in England. Is that right, Caroline? Yeah, rumour has it, and we like to claim that we're the largest geographical parish in England, although certainly not the largest parish by number of people. Although I did once have dinner with the Roman Catholic priest who has responsibility for the north of Scotland, and we had great fun comparing parishes there. (laughs) So it's the largest geographical area, but presumably um, the numbers are not huge, are they? It's about 250 square miles, and there's... Roughly 1,800 people live here, but it depends a little bit how you count because we have a lot of, as you know, summer visitors and people who have second homes and that kind of thing. Sure. Now, let's get this out first of all. I hope you don't mind me saying you had a special birthday yesterday, so happy birthday. I didn't know. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I marked my 50th yesterday and the parish managed to pull off a surprise party, which has been months in the planning, I'm told. They sent out a save the date earlier in the year and I was completely oblivious until I arrived, which was a wonderful thing. So I've had a really overwhelming day yesterday with visitors and cards and people just being lovely so it's a really good time well i'm sure everyone appreciates what you put into into uh, working here caroline now then um also at the moment i understand i know we interviewed on episode two heather ritchie for the tigger rug rugging that she does and there is um what is it actually called? It's a, a, They're having their triennial conference in right. Reith because Heather is the president of the International Rug Hookers Association at the moment. And um, we've got 150 rug makers from all over the world, Japan, America, Canada and various places in Europe. So every bed and breakfast in the village is full. There have been people who are wondering why they can't get a break away at this time of year. Um, they're having meetings today where they're having teaching about different rug techniques they're going off to visit Beamish to find a bit about the history and their whole theme for the week is going back to your roots so they're in an area where rag rugging was a practical thing that people did to cover the stone floors before it was an art form and I understand that there is an exhibition of rugs actually in Grinton Church. Is that right? Andrews Church, Grinton, from today, Tuesday until Thursday. There's um, rag rugs everywhere you can imagine in the church of all different techniques, different colours. There's even a wonderful wreath of flowers over the gate as you come in. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> no, that's that's lovely. Now then, really, to get on to you, and this is really a podcast for you, Caroline, not another plug for Heather. (laughs) Would you mind telling me a little bit about your childhood and your education? Yes, I grew up in South London, in Clapham, and was there until I was about 10. Then I went away to boarding school and then came from there up to Ripon to be a student at the college in Ripon. And that was when I came to Yorkshire and I've been here ever since. And um, as you know, I'm 50, so most of my adult life in this area. And my childhood was very happy. I have two parents who I still have the same original pair of parents, a brother and a sister who also both live down south. 
and I've just been the one who stayed up here. And yeah, always loved mm. Yorkshire since I've been here. Really. How long have you been here now? I came when I was 18 and I've just had my 50th birthday. So oh, most, right. most of my adult life, really. Sure, yeah. but into Swaledale itself? Into Swaledale, I've been 12 and a half years I've been vicar here. Right. Um, I came in May 2006. Okay. When I arrived, I had no idea how long I would stay and thought maybe five years. And then that kind of rolled over and rolled over and I'm not going anywhere at the moment. So just out of curiosity then, do you get a choice? I don't know enough about it. Do you get a choice for how long you stay somewhere? Well, Methodist ministers have to move every five years, but we don't have to do that once you're in a job. It's a sort of permanent thing pretty much. Um, And I think you have a sense when it's the right time to move really. Mm. Um, But all jobs now in the Church of England are advertised and you fill in an application form and apply and have an interview like you do in lots of Like for anything else. Professional jobs, yeah. So your journey to becoming a vicar, what made, at what age firstly did you decide you wanted to become a vicar? Well, I'd sort of been around church as a child. And then when I went to boarding school, we had a chapel and chaplains and so on. And we had a lady came who at that time was a deaconess. And I remember talking to her even then about her work and her role and wondering if that might be something for me. I came to what I would think of as my own faith about 14 Mm. Um, And so that was around about the same time. And it was always sort of around in the background. And when I was at college in Ripon, it was my last year there that the vote for women priests went through, 92. And I remember sitting with a group of other friends and watching that happen and realising that that was quite a historic moment, really. And through other friends and discussions, I kind of thought that was something I might explore at some point. And I kept saying, oh, when I'm 30, I'll do something about it because 30 seemed suitably long time away that I didn't have to think about it at the time. So I did various other things in my 20s. I did do Christian work, worked with mission societies and with students and that sort of thing. And then my 30th birthday rolled around and I had promised God that I would do something about it. So I went to talk to my vicar who sent me into... the next part of the process and so on. And a year later, I found myself at Theological College in Durham. Came out after two years, um, got married, and we started off in Leeds in the city centre, which is a bit different to Swaledale, and that a church called St George's, and people will have heard of St George's Crypt in Leeds city centre, which does a lot of work with homeless people. That's that church. Had a very happy three years in Leeds, But while we were in Leeds, we actually came to Swaledale, and you'll remember this because we stayed in the cottage opposite your house um, for a three-month placement over the winter, which was a way to get to know Swaledale (laughs) and being thrown right into it in the winter (laughs) and had just an amazing time really getting to know people and realising that it was a very engaged with people kind of ministry in a way that maybe you don't get in a bigger church in town where you're doing more sort of program stuff and that suited and that felt just right really so when I was looking to move on I said to the bishop that I'd like to explore rural ministry a bit more and we went and spent 18 months in Borough Bridge which is sort of semi-rural five villages Mm. near York and then this job came up when Tim the previous vicar moved on and I applied for it and to my slight surprise ended up being the vicar here as I say, I've been here ever since, um, and it just seems like the right place to be. So is there a huge difference between city churches and rural churches? That might, might seem quite a silly question to ask, apart from, obviously, the numbers of people. 
I think people are people wherever you go and they have the same needs and hopes and aspirations and problems and, you know, people think nothing bad happens in the country but I don't need to tell you that people live with all the same issues that they do in town. You know, all the things that happen in life happen here too. It's just sometimes in the countryside it's more hidden. You know, in town you can kind of see the poverty or the mental health issues or whatever else you're dealing with and... People might, I suppose, do more things like shopping to fill their need and their void. Um, Whereas here, you know, there's a lot of loneliness and a lot of people struggling on their own. And that's maybe a bit more hidden. And people think because it's a good community, that doesn't happen in a place like this. But it certainly does. And it's kind of under the surface. It's often said in clergy circles that inner city churches and rural churches are very similar and face some of the same issues in being on the margins and not having access to services or being under-resourced or dealing with few people and all that kind of thing. So I guess in that way, you'd have similarities. But it's very much a people-focused job and sharing faith with people is, is, you know, Mm. the same wherever you go, really. It surprises me somewhat that my experience living in a rural community is that people tend to know your business probably more so than or that's my concept of it which obviously isn't quite right then from what you're saying I do feel that it's quite difficult for some people feeling that they live in a little bit of a goldfish bowl and everybody knows what everyone else is doing but Mm. I think there is a large element of that and there is a very good sense of community here. But I think even then, unless people are willing to join in Mm. or able to join in um, or in a place in themselves where they feel they can kind of go out and join in with all the many, many things that are going on, then there are still people who drop through the gaps. And people here are very good, for example, in the snowy weather, you'll know that people with Land Rovers will go out and make sure that older people have shopping and you know, and there's all sorts of activities going on and everything else. But if for whatever reason people don't access those, there are still people who are lonely and on their own. We're just about to start a small project looking at that. There's an organisation called Germinate, the Arthur Rank Centre. It's a, They're set up at the showground at Stoneley Park in Warwickshire. And it used to be the chaplaincy for the Royal Show. Um, that was part of their work. And now they're very much the Rural Churches Resource Centre. And I'm a bit involved there as a trustee. And they've asked me to pilot a project about rural loneliness and isolation. And um, they've identified this as a problem. And it's partly a problem because people don't think it is a problem. Well, (laughs) yes. So um, I've come across a number of people and it's really just starting small, getting people together to have a meal together, to build up some community and get them to know each other and to try and encourage them to access some of the things that are going on. But there may be people who that's all they can manage to access, you know. And, mm. But it's certainly, it's obviously enough of a national issue that the Arthur Rank Centre want to want to get involved in that a bit. And it's across the board age-wise as well, isn't it? Because I know young people who struggle with transport in early you know early well even teenage years getting into college can be a difficulty Mm. from here and also even with transport or someone who's prepared to give you a lift it's very difficult Mm -hmm. for the the social life really for youngsters but on the other end of the spectrum you've got elderly people who maybe 
aren't physically capable of either driving still, mm-hmm. have lived here all their lives and then don't want to move. But public transport is quite that's, Well, that's, what, that's, yes. that's one of the issues that we live with and deal with, isn't it? So. Mm. And I mean, of course, my job is all about where does faith speak into those places, you know, yes. and where does Christian community speak into those places and... How do we help people to find a faith that sustains them and gives them strength in the middle Mm. of all of that as well? Yes. How problematic is it managing a parish that expands over such a large area? Presumably you're out and about a lot. Well, one of the things we have to work on quite hard is communication across the parish. We have four small churches over, as I said, a large area. Not everybody is on email. As you know, broadband is a rural issue as well. And so making sure that people know what's going on and hear what's going on. I read once that advertisers say that when you tell people about something new, you have to tell them in 10 different ways. So we try to do that. So things are on posters and flyers and in the local paper and, 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 you know, we do it as (laughs) many ways as possible. Obviously, it doesn't always work perfectly, but we do have to work on that quite hard. Um, traveling geography is always one of the things we live with here the roads are narrow not gritted in the winter we can get bad winters as we had last winter Um, and people here are usually very good at living with the weather not trying to fight it as you probably know last winter we did have to cancel quite a lot of services and lent groups and other events and people made sure that people were looked after in their homes but it's quite important for people that they can gather to worship. And so that really, you know, was a problem, people not being able to get together for weeks on end because mm. of the snow. Yes, yes, it was unusual last year. Mm. Now then, um, I understand that you do sit on various committees as a vicar. That's part of your job. Yeah, some of them come with the job and some of them are ones I've chosen. Each church has a church committee that sort of manages their local housekeeping. And then we have a parish church council a pcc which is our sort of board of trustees really it's our legal body and each church has representatives on that and and that meets four times a year and that's where we make decisions about buildings and we put through requests for building work and money and finance and things like safeguarding that are important for us as well as for everybody Mm. else and things like the new GDPR legislation. So we have to do all of that stuff as a sort of organisation as well as a faith community. We also have a place called Marrick Priory um, just up the road in our parish that has a link with the diocese and as part of that I sit on the trustees there. Um, I'm a school governor um, at Arkengarthdale School which is our small church school. I also... I've already mentioned the Arthur Rank Centre I'm involved there, and that's a national role, and I've done a bit of writing for them and other work. And the other place I'm on a committee is at Scargill House in Kettlewell, which is a Christian retreat and conference and holiday centre with quite a ministry, particularly with people from the inner cities who come in to have time in the country. And um, I, I work there as a trustee, and I'm involved there quite a lot, just day to day as well. Right, yes, busy life then, eh? So that's that's some of what I do. <laughs> that's that's just um, yeah, just a taster of what you do. Now then, I'm curious to know which part of the religious calendar is your favourite time of year, and what does it mean to you, if you have a favourite? 
They all have their different seasons and different shades and light and colour. I actually like the rhythm of the year, how it goes round and you sort of mark all the different seasons. But we're just coming up to Advent, that season of light and dark and Jesus, the light of the world, coming into the darkness. And we sort of start in darkness and move up to light. And that's a lovely time of year. There's that waiting Mm. time and marking time. If you do Advent properly, then you manage to not do the commercial rush into Christmas that some people do, because you have to force yourself to slow down and to wait until you actually get to the celebration. And I think that's rather lovely. Mm. Yes, that's that's nice. Now, then, there have been a lot of changes over the years, haven't there, with um, rural parishes. I just wondered how you would actually see rural parishes developing, perhaps over the next decade or so. Can you foresee changes? Are you aware of anything that we don't know about? There's a lot of change coming, I think, not just in rural churches, but in rural areas. As you know, young people are moving away and not moving in, and even older people are moving away. And in an area like this where a lot of people retired here maybe 20 years ago, they retired young on reasonable pensions, they moved to the country, they came looking for community, they created community by, they're the people who are involved in all the groups, clubs, societies and so on. And those people are now older and starting to move away. And of course, they're not being replaced by a new generation of young retireds because people my age can't retire Mm. in their 50s. And so that leaves a huge gap. And then one of the issues we've mentioned is broadband. And, of course, families will only move in if there's work. There's not really sustainable work here. People might want to run a business from home. There's not really good enough broadband to do that yet. So it's a lot of issues that are working together. That means I think our population is going to decline a bit more before it comes back again. Mm. Um, And that has an effect on all sorts of things because you simply don't have the people to run all the things that were running before and to drive the community bus and to be carers and all of that kind of work that's around Um, I think in the church, of course, we reflect what's going on in the community and people are moving away. Younger people are not around to come and be involved. We do do some work with families and children. Um, We use the forest school model, but we call it forest church. So we share faith with children and young people and families by doing outdoor activities. We have a big shelter in the churchyard and so on. So so there's life around and there's things Mm. going on. The other bigger national issue that's happening is that there are going to be fewer and fewer clergy because there's there's a large number of people retiring and although the numbers coming in are good they're not matching the large number of people who are retiring the demographic and that means that the more marginal places might struggle to get vicars at all and Mm. so we're being asked to help people in the parishes the lay people to be trained up to do more and more which if you don't have them because they're moving away, that's that's an issue. That's so we're, we're, we're grappling with all of that at the moment in the church. Challenging times, really. Now, I know that you're Church of England, but I wanted to just ask you a little about the Catholic Church here. I don't know very much about Not, the Catholic Church, and I certainly don't speak for them. <laughs> I just wondered if you had an opinion on whether or not it, it's going in the direction of allowing priests to marry and also women to become priests. And I know those are discussions in certain parts of the Roman Catholic Church. 
the way that works would have to be, I think, from the top, the Pope would have to make those kind of decisions. Mm. But if he did, then it would go right through the church and it wouldn't, you know, it would sort of happen almost instantly in a way that we don't work in that kind of mm. top-down way, really. Um, I have no way of knowing if that's no going to happen. No way of knowing, no. <laughs> now then, can you tell me um, what you um, love about living here? Obviously you do because you're committed to staying here. Mm. Um, what is it that you particularly like about living here in Swaledale? I do like the people and the sense of community and the sense of being known and being able to know people and be part of people's lives. There are families, as you know, have been here for generations and very settled, and I've now been here long enough where some families, I've buried a family member, I've baptised a family member, I've done a wedding, and I feel like I sort of know the whole family and I get to know family networks and just being part of the lives in that sort of way and sharing faith with people in those networks has been important to me. I do love the landscape and the countryside and the, just the area and driving around mm. um, with my colleague. I, we often drive up Swaledale thinking, well, this is not bad as commuting goes. <laughs> um, and I'm just very settled in the place, really, and it works well for me. It wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea but it's it's a place where I feel that I've settled and and feel at home and it is home for you now Mm. Mm. what are the three things that you love most about being a vicar I like sharing faith with people that's why I went into it in the first place to be able to tell the story of Jesus and what God has done in Jesus Christ that's really the underlying thing Mm. of everything that we do I love the people engagement and just being able to share with people at the important moments of their lives to celebrate or to, you know, share in the sorrow as well. And I love being able to be creative. You know, I don't have set hours at work and I don't have sort of tick lists of what I have to achieve. It's about leading and seeing where people are and leading on to the next stage. And it does give a lot of scope to be very creative. Hmm, quite flexible, really, in that, flexible. in that respect, yeah. yes. Is there anything that you dislike about being a vicar? Most vicars say they really don't like the admin. And I think <laughs> it's it's like teachers. We've had more and more and more. I've already mentioned safeguarding and GDPR. And mm. I do think they're important. But we have those. And when you do it times four churches, there's just always seems to be more and more legislation and paperwork and all of that sort of thing. I think so that's universal. That's any job, I think. <laughs> yes. Um, quite a few interviews that, that we've done over the last few months. It, it seems to be, as you say, universal. No one likes the paperwork. Have you any dreams for the future? Anything particular that you, um, on your bucket list, something that you want to do? Well, I've been trying to put together a list of 50 things to do now I'm 50. Um, and top of that list is learning to drive a tractor. <laughs> ah. So I'm hoping somebody might be able to help me out with that in Swaledale. <clears throat> I've also never mastered driving a car with gears. So one day I really hope to be able to do that. I learned to drive in America and I drive an automatic and I still drive an automatic. I have had lessons with gears, but I've, I've never mastered it. So that might be something I have a good go at at some point. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, you're in the right place for tractor driving anyway, that's for sure. If you couldn't have been a vicar, what Mm. other occupation would you have liked to have had a go at? Well, my secret ambition is to go to art college and do a year's textiles course and then to work with my hands, making things, creating things. I already make quilts and that sort of thing, but I'd love to have more time to do that and more sort of space in my head to be creative and really learn to do textile arts. 
Mm, no, that sounds good. And then if your home was on fire, um, which item would you take with you? What's the most important thing? Only one. Oh, the cat. The cat. <laughs> Arthur the tabby cat, um, who I share my home with, and shortly to have two kittens as well. Oh, my. Oh, so, good. Um, oh, so then you'll have to choose. Yes. <laughs> Um, your favourite colour, just asking a few um, odd questions at the end here. What's your favourite colour? My favourite colour is a deep wine red. Right. I just I just love red as a colour. I think it's really warm and like you, my sitting room is painted that colour. <laughs> favourite piece of music, Caroline? I'm really not a musical person at all, but there's a piece of music called the Washington Post, which is a band march. That has always sort of lived with me. When I was at boarding school, it was a sort of school where we had a band and the whole school marched into lunch every day with a full band playing. It's a school called Christ's Hospital down in Sussex. And the Washington Post was a piece of music I marched into lunch to on many occasions. <laughs> I think that's something I need to listen to then because I've, I have just visions of you marching into lunch at school. And where is your favourite relaxing place? Where would you go to relax? Probably just sitting at home, quilting with the cat and the radio. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. That sounds like a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful relaxation for you. Right. Well, I'd like to thank you very much, Caroline, for sharing all of that with us. Thank you. And um, this is Susan signing out from inside Yorkshire. Thank you.